Well, today, on this uh, last Sunday of Advent, I'd like to talk about, as you saw up there on the screens, about connection in a year that's marked by separation. Over the weeks of the Advent season, we've worked through the truths that you just saw up there on the screens. Jeff Jeffrin talked about peace uh, in the midst of anxiety. Jim Murphy then spoke on hope in the face of uncertainty. Today, it'll be connection in the midst of separation. We'll finish it off today by unpacking uh, the biggest words that you saw up there on the screens, the biggest by far, and that is, in this year marked by separation, uncertainty, and anxiety, we need Emmanuel, God with us, Jesus. Over the last months during this COVID crisis, have you ever felt like you've lost your connection with him? I sure have. It's happened to me again and again. And I've learned that I'm not the only one as I've talked to people on the phone and after services. I've heard from one after another that this is one of the hardest parts of this year that's marked by separation, truth be told. Strange winds are blowing across the land, and even the elect are losing their bearings in big ways and in more subtle ways, like losing somehow our connection with him. And I don't know about you, but I need to know that even when this happens, so long as I stay true to him, he hasn't lost his connection with me. I need to know very simply that the Lord is my shepherd. Ever wonder why the first ones to hear about the birth of Christ were the shepherds? Ever wonder why out of all humanity, he made sure that the shepherds would be the first to see him? Well, in part anyway, I think it's because this was at the heart of what he came to do. To be our shepherd through it all. And so he appeared to his peers first, you might say. It's all over the place in the New Testament that that's foundationally, in many ways, why he came. And it's even in the Old Testament. It's what Isaiah said in Isaiah 40 in the passage that's about his coming, a passage which George Frederick Handel then went on to quote, as we all know, in the Messiah. It's a word of comfort that we all need, I think, in this season of separation. It's what Israel needed way back then. And so Handel's Messiah begins with these words from Isaiah 40, starting in verse 1, comfort ye, O comfort my people, says your God. This is what I need. This is what maybe we need this Sunday before Christmas. Comfort ye, O comfort my people, says your God. Speak kindly to Jerusalem, to Faith Church Loveland. And then of all the things that Christ came to do, God tells Isaiah to focus on this, which George Frederick Handel then goes on to do. For he shall feed his flock like a shepherd, Isaiah 40, verse 11. And he shall gather the lambs in his arm and carry them in his bosom and gently lead those who are with young. This prediction that he will be the great shepherd of the sheep goes on for seven minutes and Handel's Messiah. 
That's a long time, and that's a good thing because we need to let it sink in when strange winds are blowing across the land. Just like we sang that he's the gentle shepherd who comes to lead us, to help us find our way. That in this year of separation, even when it feels like you've lost your connection with him, Emmanuel, God with us, the Lord is your shepherd. And one day, looking back over our lives, we'll be able to see it. Just like Jaber Crow saw it. Remember him? Some of you were here two months ago when we looked at Jaber. Jaber Crow, that's the title of a modern-day classic by Wendell Berry. It's a work of fiction, a novel about Jaber's life. And Jaber was looking back over the, uh, uh, at the end of his life, just like we will all do one day. And to launch it today, I'd like to pick it up where we left off last time. Here's what he said. If you could do it, I suppose it would be a good idea to live your life in a straight line. Starting, say, in the dark wood of error, then proceeding by logical steps through hell and purgatory, and then into heaven. Or you could take the king's highway past appropriately named dangers, toils, and snares, and finally cross the river of death to enter the celestial city. But that is not the way I have done it, so far anyway. I am a pilgrim, but my pilgrimage has been wandering and unmarked. Often what has looked like a straight line to me has been a circle or a doubling back. I have been in the dark wood of error any number of times. I have known something of hell, purgatory, and heaven, but not always in that order. The names of many snares, dangers, have been made known to me, but I have seen them only looking back. Often I have not known where I was going until I was already there. I have had my share of desires and goals, but my life has come to me, or I have gone to it, mainly by way of mistakes or surprises. Often I have received better than I have deserved. Often my fairest hopes have rested on bad mistakes. I am an ignorant pilgrim crossing a dark valley. And yet, for a long time, looking back, I have been unable to shake off the feeling that through it all, I have been led. Through it all, I have been led. And then he closes it, make of that what you will. We need to know this now more than ever, that looking back, we will all say that through it all, through hell and purgatory and heaven, through the, the dark wood of error, through a COVID crisis that seemed to last forever, though it may seem like we're making it up as we go, with no playbook, without guidance, though you've lost even your connection with him, still looking back, you'll say you've been led. Make of that what you will, what they will. The Lord is my shepherd. Jaber Crow reminds me of Bert Croft. Bert was a forester, a forester in Vermont who Julie and I grew to deeply love. He was a shepherd of trees, you might say, who knew the shepherd of the sheep. And I'd like to tell you a little about him today. Christ would often teach his sheep in a way that I'd like to follow. 
today. He would often lead them to the green pastures of the word and the still waters of the spirit by telling them stories, stories that brought the scripture to life. He knew that like nothing else, this could get our attention, especially uh, we need them when uh, he knew when they're shaken, if you're anything like me. So Jaber's story was the first. Bert's will be the second. It also includes his friend Robbo. And then at the very end, Lord willing, it'll all come together in just six verses of Scripture that these stories will bring to life. And then we'll just have to say the benediction. And anyway, Christmas is a time for stories. So pretend we're in the living room together as one big family by the tree about to listen to a, a, a hallmark tale that's for the whole family. We'll go to another place today just to get away. Kind of like an armchair vacation. So just sit back and relax. It'll do you good. Some of you need to get out more. I know I do. And as you'll see at the very end, it's a vacation with a purpose. It'll also do you good because it'll all lead to the green pasture of the shepherd's word. Burton Robbo were members of the church that Julie and I served before we came here. It was a wonderful, white-steepled church, a quintessential New England church from another day. It was right out of a Thomas Kincaid painting. It was built in 1807, and it has an original Paul Revere bell, which tourists come to see to this day. This church started gathering, believe it or not, in 1773. You think you've been meeting a long time. D.L. Moody preached revival services there in 1886 and again in 1887. It's on, yeah, it's on 36 Elm Street in the town of Woodstock, Vermont. Not to be confused with Woodstock, New York. They will be quick to tell you they, will not, they do not want to be associated to what happened there. Traveler magazine named Woodstock, Vermont, among the most beautiful towns in America. And this wouldn't be far from the truth. Many have compared it to a Thomas Kincaid town, so much so that it's a destination location in New England. And now you can say you've been there, so to speak. Or at least you can say you've gotten to know some of the locals. Vermont is a rural state, so people come from a different cloth. They come from a different fiber like the shepherds did. They've got just about the lowest COVID rate in the nation. And in good part, it's because by nature, uh, Vermonters don't have a problem keeping their distance. They like their distance. And because of, as a whole, they know how to follow the rules. Bert and Charlotte Croft lived in East Barnard, Vermont. And you better pronounce it right. I pronounced it Bernard once, and I got, I got told, told about it because Vermonters are jealous of their towns. They go way back in their towns. Charlotte's still there in East Barnard, Vermont, in the home where they raised their family, a home that's like a little house on the prairie, except it's in the woods. So I guess it's like Laura Ingalls Wilder's first book, Little House in the Big Woods. That's it. Bert was a woodsman, a forester who looked after trees, as was his friend Robbo. Vermonters loved not just their towns, but their trees and their land. They're rooted in the land. And like the people back in Jaber Crow's Day when we were an agrarian society. 
And do they know how to make maple shirt syrup from maple trees? Numerous people in our church did that. And what's got to be the the world's best cold-pressed apple cider comes from their orchards. I used to hate apple juice until I had some of their cold-pressed apple cider, and now I'm addicted. And when the colors change, each year in the fall, people come from all over the nation, even the world, to see it. When they're at their peak, each tree is like this burning Bush and fiery reds and yellows and golds. It's like heaven. They'd say, truly, we're at peak glory now. It's a region where foresters mean something because trees cover 75% of the state. Bird and Rabo saw things eye to eye, both being woodsmen over 40 years. Spending time with them takes you back to another day in more ways than one. Bert never wrote down much, but Robbo has. He's a writer. He's even written a novel. And you can get at Bert felt, at what Bert felt through what Robbo wrote. Here's what he said. Ever since I was a boy exploring the forest near my home, I have loved everything about the forest. Trees, wildlife, plants. Though I began my education in wildlife management at the University of Maine, after I saw their forest, I was hooked on forest management. I transferred to forestry and have been working in the woods ever since. Forest management makes it possible for landowners to keep their family land by managing their timber resource. Fancy that. Your trees can become a kitchen table, a coat closet, firewood for a wood stove, or paper for the books read in other homes across America. Vermont values its farm and forest landscape. He concludes with this on the website where he talks about his services as a forester. I want you to understand what makes a healthy forest and why good forest management is good stewardship. As a forester, I get to improve the woodlands while teaching landowners and working with some of the best loggers in the business. I want people to understand what makes a healthy forest and why good forest management is good stewardship of God's creation. People need to hear that in other parts of this nation. Vermont has far fewer forestry regulations than most states. If we, if we only knew how to manage our forests in Colorado, we wouldn't be nearly in the predicament that we are now in. Or at least that's what Burton Robbo would say. Yeah, Vermonters love their trees, and I think that's why Psalm 1 meant everything to Bert and Robbo, which of course is about a tree. They could feel, they said, this psalm down to their bones because not only did they love trees, they loved God's word, like some of you. They were rooted and grounded in it, like trees firmly planted by streams of water, like so many were in that church. And they are themselves well-managed trees because good stewardship of the lives that they've been given to live is hugely important to them. Robbo and Ruth homeschooled their five kids all the way through. They're about an hour south of Bert and Charlotte. Robbo and Ruth live in Chester, Vermont, in another little house in the Big Woods home. Churches are few and far between there because it's a rural state. And so the Hollerins, with their five kids, have been faithfully driving 45 minutes to get to church. 45 minutes each way every Sunday for more than 20, 35 years. 
even in the winters, which can be brutal. But Vermonters know how to turn what's brutal into, you know, what's memorable. Maybe that's why there's nothing like Christmas in Vermont. They do it right. Bear with me a little longer. Like I said, we need to get away for a bit. It's not by coincidence that Irving Berlin's song, I'll Be Home for Christmas, was made famous because of a movie that was filmed in, guess where? Vermont, Holiday Inn. Remember that movie? It was released back in 1942 in the middle of World War II when things were worse than they are today, if that be possible. Many of our brave soldiers the world over were wondering if they'd ever get home for Christmas again. Maybe that included some of you. And if it did, now you're looking back and you're saying, we, we were led. We have been led. And did he bring us home for Christmas or what? And he took during those years many of the brethren to a better home, to the house of the Lord forever. Just like some of our loved ones have gone home for Christmas this year. And some of our number will be home for Christmas by next year. You could almost sing it as a Christmas song if you were a prophet. Next year, I'll be home for Christmas. Julie would say, you better not be. (laughs) Don't even say it. Of course... Bing Crosby sang it with Marjorie Reynolds, and it went on to become, as some of you may know, what is to this day, according to the Guinness Book of World Records, the world's number one single at 50 million copies. With other versions, the sales exceeded 100 million. All thanks to Vermont, they will be quick to tell you, to Holiday Inn that was filmed there. There was even a movie made as recently as 2016 called A Christmas in Vermont. Needless to say, they love their Christmas trees. There's even a Christmas ornament with a painting of the First Congregational Church of Woodstock, Vermont, a miniature form of the painting on this Christmas uh, ornament, a painting by Lucy Maher that she gave us to help us remember our, our time there. Believe it or not, Rabo has an uncanny resemblance to Santa Claus. And Charlotte is just like you'd imagine Mrs. Claus. I kid you not. Every Christmas she sends out scores of handmade cards. And, um, and Robbo does a talk about St. Nicholas every year, about all the good he did. He's got a mission every year to revive St. Nicholas's reputation because he wasn't a myth but a real saint who knew the true meaning of Christmas that we can learn from. And when Robbo gives those talks about the true meaning of Santa Claus, looking at him with that beard and that belly, he speaks as one who has authority on the subject. <laughs> Bert Croft came from the same cloth as his friend Robbo Holleran. Being in Vermont and around people like that reminds you of the way we were, of the backbone of our nation. Being in that church was like going back to another day, back to sturdy, salt-of-the-earth type people who have their convictions and who are firmly planted. I could say so much more, but 
Here's my point. Back to Bert and Charlotte. There was a lot of history behind this family when they were shaken. When Bert was confined to his bed for four months that seemed to last forever. And there was a lot of integrity under them that's as as rich as Vermont's farmlands when they were disconnected from him. There was a whole lot there when I was sitting with Charlotte and the family in the parsonage the day after Bert had passed away after a long and full life. And just what was under them, it was what was under him. And what can be under us whenever we're shaken? We were sitting in the parlor of the parsonage. All his children and grandchildren and nieces and nephews. It's just down from the church on 43 Elm Street. Five pastors have raised their families there in that parsonage. Who knows how many families have gathered there after a loved one passed away. And how many stories about the dearly departed have been told there. Charlotte told one that day, one that just about summed it up, which brings us to the final part of this little hallmark story. It was about when Bert had gone to the woods up in Big Basin to finish marking out a boundary line. I think she thought of it because it was kind of the story of his life. Early one day, he told her, I may be late because it's a long hike, but if I'm not home by 8.30 tonight, call Paul Hartzorn. Charlotte said, Paul trucks logs, and he knows the area. Well, she said, 8.30 passed, 9 o'clock, and she was getting worried. 9.30, 10.30, and finally she called a neighbor that she had known for 50 years. They invited her over so she could be with them, and so, as she put it, they could hold vigil together, and did they pray? Finally, she gets a call. Will you accept charges from Bert Croft? Will I? Of course I will. And sure enough, she says, it's him. And as it turned out, he had finished his marking and came down off the mountain as it was getting dark when he saw two dark shapes, little black shapes, scampering up a tree. And then he saw a big black mama bear shape who didn't want him to get anywhere near that tree. And Charlotte said this mama bear, she started hurting Bert all along the way to keep him off the trail. And so he had to take the long way around, and by then it was dark, and he didn't have a flashlight. And before he knew it, he was lost, all while this winter storm was coming in. And the temperature was plunging, as happens in Vermont winters. And I'm telling you, it is bone-chilling with high humidity and brutal temperatures and bears. If you're lost in those woods in the bleak of winter, there are many dangers, toils, and snares. And he, of all people, knew what he could be in for. But then, out of nowhere, a light appears. And then it started to move. And he decided to follow it. And that light led him all the way back to his truck. And then it disappeared. 
The Lord was watching over me, he told Charlotte on the phone. It's what he's done all my life, Charlotte. That's what he said, she told us that day in the parsonage. And then she said, it's definitely what Bert believed. To which she added, though he did say that maybe the, ne the next time he'd take a flashlight. <laughs> it was a parable of his life. And yours too. If you know Christ as your Savior who came to be your shepherd. As Charlotte shared that story, I thought of David, who also knew the Lord as his shepherd, who loved the out of doors and who did a lot of walking like Bert did, who God delivered, he said in 1 Samuel, from the paw of the lion and like with Bert, from the paw of the bear. And so after hearing about all that in the parsonage and after all that I had learned about Bert before he passed away, I wasn't surprised when Charlotte told me uh, in answer to a question that I always ask, what was his favorite passage of scripture? And she said the favorite by far was Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd. You know, you can find out a lot about a person when you look through their Bible. And what stood out about Bert's Bible, of many things, but one of the things that stood out as I paged through it the day before the service was that there were three Bible reading calendars in it that were well-worn, all of them from the Gideons, who he had worked with over many decades. Bert loved God's Word. I'll never forget what happened when I gave him the bread and the cup in their little house in the Big Woods home. Julie and I shared communion with Bert and Charlotte at his bedside shortly before he passed away. And do you know when it was that this grown man, this man's man, started to cry during that little communion service? It was when I started quoting the scripture, and in particular the parts about how the sufferings of this present time, even four months that seem like forever, are not worthy to be compared to the glory that's to be revealed to us. When I read about dwelling in the house of the Lord forever, the end of Psalm 23, then his tears started to come. Bird almost didn't agree to a memorial service. He didn't want any attention focused on him, which is typical of Vermonters. It was only thanks to a lot of persuading on Charlotte's part that he agreed to let us have one. Bert wasn't a man of many words, and he wouldn't have wanted me to use a lot of words. I, it's like saying that, a saying that he used to go by, which is also typical of Vermonters. You shouldn't speak unless you can improve the silence, preacher. And so the little that I had to say that day was in honor of Bert's desire and of his quiet demeanor. And it was in honor of the word that he so loved and his, of his fellow laborers among the Gideons where all contributions were directed in lieu of flowers. I focused that day on the Lord of the word through the word of the Lord, through his favorite passage where he had been firmly planted. I knew Bert would want me to get him out of the way in that service, not to mention me, and just to let God have his say. 
I told them, we're going to honor Bert today by just hearing what God has to say. And it wasn't just God's word for Bert and Charlotte and the family and all the rest that were there that day at the First Congregational Church of Woodstock, Vermont. It's just as much for all of you here today at Faith Church Loveland. Because if you know the Savior as your shepherd, one day you'll see the truth of it all too. You'll be looking back from heaven's gates, looking down on your memorial service, just like Bert was. You'll, you'll be looking past your memorial service, back to the beginning of your life, and you'll be taking it all in. And you'll be seeing what people from every walk of life are seeing right now, multitudes from every generation. It's what George Frederick Handel now sees, what Bert Croft is seeing, what Jaber Crow saw at the end of his life and what Robbo and Ruth Holleran will see and Charlotte Croft and so many from the great generations who, who got us through the last crisis. It wasn't, it, it's what all have seen who have uh, gone before us in the great cloud of witnesses. You'll be saying with Jaber Crow through it all, I've been led. Especially seeing what I do now, what it all leads to. Thanks to him, it's true. I barely knew how true. I've been led. And with Bert Croft, you'll be saying, the Lord was my shepherd. I did not want. He made me lie down in green pastures. He led me beside still waters. He restored my soul. He led me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. His rod and his staff, they were flashlights before me. They comforted me. He prepared a table before me, one that probably came from one of our trees, one of his trees, with all his other gifts of kitchen tables and coat closets and firewood for wood stoves and paper and books read across America. He prepared tables before me in the presence of more bears than I likely ever imagined. He anointed my head with oil, my cup. It ran over with cold-pressed apple cider and maple syrup made by true Vermonters. And, and, and you can fill in the blanks, too. Surely, goodness and mercy followed me all the days of my life from beginning to end. And I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever, which will be better even than a white Christmas in Vermont. Better even than when the colors change compared to the peak glory that awaits us. In this year of separation, we have this destination. All who know the, safe, the shepherd as their savior and until then, we have this connection. Every word of it will prove to be true. 
whether you feel connected to him or not, he's connected to you. Because he's Emmanuel, God with us. And today, the Sunday before Christmas, as his gift to you, after all you've been through, he wants you to take comfort. Oh, take comfort, my people, saith the Lord your shepherd. Amen. As the worship leaders come forward, if you need more comfort in this area, I know no better way than through a book that's become a classic. You've probably heard of it. A Shepherd Looks at Psalm 23 by Philip Keller. A Shepherd Looks at Psalm 23. It's really good. You might even think it comes close to improving the scripture, but as Bert would say, it does not. We began by praying, gentle shepherd, come and lead us. Let's close today with the same kind of prayer that he would be this for us this year. Let's Stand and pray as we sing, O come, O come, Emmanuel.